mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, welcome to Thursday's Off Air. Do you know what? We're both done to a crisp. Well, you've been up since the crack of dawn. You did a sports interview at 9.15. That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I've decided to eat healthily. So um, ahead of my, is it called our health today or your health tomorrow or our, our future health? Our future health. Because uh, I've signed up to this data gathering thing uh, that's supposed to basically, basically I'm saving lives, Fee. You've also done it, haven't you? Yes. And you were quite patronising when I said I'd done it. Yeah, but sometimes I'll just copy you. Uh, and in this case, I have again. But I've got this assessment coming up. I want to be reasonably fit when that takes place. So Jane had a, a salad that took her, no joke, it was eaten over the course of three hours. And every time I looked round, it hadn't really diminished. No, because there was just a huge mound of spinach leaves on top of some other itty-bitty healthy ingredients. Yeah, it's the Caesar salads in the canteen here that slightly do my nuts. I don't buy them anymore. Because there are three very big juicy crunchy croutons on right. top I don't like croutons and uh, and a couple of slices of of chicken mm. but it is 98% slightly damp lettuce leaves yeah okay. and the first so the first three mouthfuls are really good and then underneath it is just not so tasty food mm. yeah could it be that that's the cheapest of the ingredients I think you're right, sister. Yeah. But anyway, are you feeling healthier? Just feel great. Do you feel great? I feel great. Okay. I feel absolutely great. Oh, so that one of the reasons why uh, we were both in early, actually, and we've done an astonishing amount of work for two old biddies today, is because we've pre-recorded uh, Book Club podcast number four. So if you've been waiting on hooks of tenter mm. to find out what everybody thinks about an elderly lady is up to no good... Uh, by Helen Turston, then tomorrow is your opportunity to find out. We really love Book Club and we really love all of your opinions about the books we've read because you're so thoughtful about it. And actually, Jane had a bit of a revelation, a bit of a revelation yes. about this book yeah. because of your opinions. Exactly. Uh, so we are very grateful to you for just engaging with it. Um, and we also now need suggestions for the fifth one. And we are both thinking non-fiction, possibly even British, could be written by someone who's not female. There we are. I'm just putting it out there. So far, we've only had lady writers. I wonder whether we could find a really good biography of 
beefy both of them. Well, it's funny you say that. It's the one coming out. No, but I have one. <laughs> and if you, I tell you what, if you play your cards right, I might bring it in next week and read out extra. Oh God, could you? Could you? Yes, okay. Um, do you know, I was doing a bit of thinning of the bookshelves the other day, and so I've got this kind of little collection. It's that's too grand a term for it. I've got some books about radio, but they are funny. So mm. there's. Um, uh, Simon Bates' compilation of our tunes. Oh, yeah. Shall I bring yeah. that in? Oh, yes, please. Uh, and, and there's a book by Steve Wright, which is one of his kind of, um, I think back in the day we would have called it zany. Zany radio and Zany humour. Yeah. Right. I'm just about to cough. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Are you going down with something? <laughs> It'd be ironic if you couldn't make your Our Future Health visit because you were too poorly. Oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you? No, no it's just a little tickle. I've dealt with it. <laughs> What's uh, the matter, Kate? Trent Dalton is a man. Trent Dalton is a man. That's correct. News incoming. Trent Dalton is a man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not British and he hasn't written non-fiction. I can't be expected to know everything. <laughs> uh, he was the author of Boy Swallows Universe. I stand corrected. Yep. Thank God you're here, Kate. Uh, right, Maria's been in touch. Uh, my ears pricked up when we mentioned the karate cushion, which seems to be in vogue at the moment on hotel beds. I'm fascinated by the thinking that goes behind these trends in decor, and it reminded me of a Malmaison hotel we stayed at a few years ago in Charterhouse Square, Smithfield, which is kind of uh, just east of the centre of London. It would literally have made Barry White blush. The lobby was dark and had upholstery in black velvet with covered buttons. Uh, the lift had a Jack Vetriano style framed saucy print. Ladies Day at Aintree came to mind. Uh, watch it. That's coming up, by the way, in a couple of weeks. The room was chalk and beige, the bathroom red and black, and on the side, a bottle of red wine chargeable to the room if the seal was broken. Champagne on ice plus strawberries dipped in chocolate were also on offer. I was recently doing a recce on places to stay in Yorkshire and realised another trend had crept in, the Victorian or copper bath at the end of the bed or on a plinth in the window or anywhere except in a bathroom. We'd love to hear if anyone really does prefer doing their ablutions in public whilst knocking black a flute of Prosecco? Or is this all part of today's obsession with production line seduction? Which is just a great phrase, production line seduction. And I know what you mean, Marie, that that bath in the bedroom thing drives it. me bonkers. That's that's a thing now, is it? It is such a thing. Weird. Yeah, because I don't want to have a bath in front of people. Lo I love having baths for the very reason that it's, a, as far as I'm concerned, a private activity. Yeah. Although back in the day, of course, uh, not that long ago, big butch fellas who'd played very aggressive games together would then hop in the bath. They would have a shared bath, wouldn't oh, they? Yes. But if anybody does like having a bath in their bedroom, I just don't, you know, there's always, you know, if you're staying in a hotel room with somebody, you know, inevitably they're scrolling on a phone or they might be unpacking a suitcase and it's not romantic at all. Uh, and then you just, you drip all over the Nice carpet and whatever. I just think there's you any can't find of... the robe with those. Studio, I hate the hangers that imply that you'd steal them oh, yeah. if they weren't in their funny little plugs. It's just I like paid a lot of money for this mm. hotel room. I'm not nicking your coat hangers. No, no, I wouldn't. Have you ever taken a dressing gown? No, because you just know not that not even when you're on the travel show. No, you just know that they would track you down and charge you six hundred and seventy-five oh. pounds. Oh, there is that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, and you can get them in Matalan now. Really nice ones for about seven ninety nine. Yeah, um, well, there we are. Uh, I just want to leap to the defence of my poor unfortunate um, cat because I'm horrified to read that this email is entitled Dora, help with peeing on bed. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's Barbara. 
She's in the frame. Uh, my Dora has not done anything of this nature since she had a very nasty tummy bug when she was very young. And she, since then, she's been very careful with her habits. Uh, but there's a very long and thoughtful email here that I think you probably need to read in your own private time, Fee. It is from, it's from Fern. And she's really put thought in it. She's got lots of ideas. Um, you, you definitely need to read it. Yeah, I did. I have read it and oh, I will take it home and read it again. But it uh, it astounded me because at the beginning, uh, the pet behaviourologist, as mm -hmm. Fern is, yeah. suggests that Barbara is peeing on my bed because she likes me, because it's where my scent is. And I have to confess, I hadn't thought about that at all. I thought she was going upstairs thinking, I don't like that woman. So it comes from a place of love. <laughs> yes. I'm going to stick with it. More animal news has come our way from Julia in Brisbane. Um, I love, by the way, I'm still so excited when we get an email from someone who's not in the United Kingdom. It doesn't matter where you're in the world you are. Honestly, it makes me tingle. It's just brilliant. Uh, Julia says, sorry, Jane, hope you're not inundated with emails from Down Under listeners to say koalas are not bears, they are marsupials. P.S. I went to school in the UK in the early 70s and I was a member of the Tufty Club, which was about road safety, sounds similar to Tinger and Tucker. Uh, yeah, now there I um, have been having a wrestle, mental wrestle with myself since yesterday's episode. Uh, Julia, I think the Tufty Club was what I meant. Uh, the Tufty Club was all about, it was a squirrel who was very active in the road safety world. And I don't think Tinger and Tucker were about road safety. I think I got confused with Tufty. Okay, so what would Tinger and Tucker have been? Just I think they were just your imagination. I think, no, they existed, because why would I have thought of that? Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, they were just a couple of well, what I now know to be cuddly marsupials going about their business. And I think they may have had adventures. OK. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that somebody would be able to fill us in. That's that's ding-donging somebody's bells. It will somewhere. be. Um, Julia says she wakes up early and listens to the podcast. It drops about 4am Brisbane time. Well, well good morning, Julia. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Are we allowed to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I've done it now. <laughs> Sorry, Francis is in Macclesfield. Is that giving you the same tingle? Not quite. Although I, I have taken a train from Macclesfield Station within living memory. Now you see, you're going to get us into trouble with our lovely UK listeners. Oh, uh, Fern's apologised. She says, in my usual muddled way, I got the cat's names confused. Oh, I God. know that Barbara lives with Thee and Dora allows Jane to live with her. Correct. Thank you, Fern. Uh... Francis, who is from Macclesfield, uh, says, with above two children, both living in London, am also Avanti-averse. <laughs> Uh, so this is about the birth of the children. I've just listened to your podcast with an email referring to a tear when giving birth. I can still get quite angry when I'm reminded of my experience of being stitched up after my second baby was born. She's 33 now. My first birth was quite lengthy and ended with an episiotomy and a Von Tu's delivery. It was a bit traumatic. He had a large head and I really sympathise with your listener as I'm also sharply reminded every Christmas that hat lasts seconds. I subsequently had a lot of issues with pain and discomfort. My daughter arrived 20 months later because my records mentioned my problems. I was told by the midwife that she couldn't stitch the tear I'd had during the birth, so I'd have to wait for a doctor. I awaited prostrate. He arrived 90 minutes later with barely any conversation. I was put in stirrups and he got on with his business. It hurt. And suddenly he loudly uttered between my legs, stop flinching, you can't feel it. 
I was so shocked and just wanted the whole thing over. And I regret to this day that all I said in a very quiet voice was, I can. It was horrible. Incidentally, she was born with a cord very tightly around her neck and it had to be cut after her head was delivered, but doesn't have any problems with things around her neck. Uh, Good to know that. But do you know what? That's just such a you're in such a vulnerable position and you must have been knackered and in quite a lot of pain. And you'd waited for an hour and a half. And for someone to say that you can't feel it when clearly you were feeling it because you wouldn't have flinched if you couldn't feel it. Oh. It's just mean. And do you know, I'm not surprised it still makes you angry. And I think that's why it's probably quite good to, you know, for all of us to get it out. Because I think lots of women do carry it around with them for years. There is never an opportunity. Uh, you know, I think you tell your birth stories, don't you, a bit afterwards with new mums, you know, when you're waiting to have the baby weighed and whatever. But I've definitely, I just parked mine. I didn't, you know, endlessly refer to it. But I think for a lot of people... Uh, it's a source of um, of some mental kind of uh, hurt, actually. So I hope that just telling your story... Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, ...has made you feel a little bit better, Francis. Because we have to acknowledge, and I think it's OK to say this, for, for all the brilliance and the compassion of so many members of the medical and nursing professions, sometimes they say and do unforgivable things. Yeah, because the nice thing to say would be, are you OK, well. you know... Can, can, you know, do you need more pain relief or whatever? Yeah. But also, it just doesn't make sense. Stop flinching, you can't feel it. doesn't make sense because you wouldn't flinch if you no. couldn't feel it. I, I want to bring in this listener and um, she has been kind enough to tell us about what she describes as an unpleasant memory. And I salute her courage in giving us this uh, a slice of life. Um, I'm not going to mention your name, but I, I do admire you. Uh, following the birth of my first child, I both tore and was cut. So I found myself post-delivery lying on my back with my legs in those stirrups uh, with a piece of fabric with a discreet opening between my legs. The doctor told me I needed some stitches. He went on to say that they were there were some students with him and would I mind if they observed. For some reason, unclear to me now, I did agree. Well, the procedure took ages and I thought perhaps they were all being encouraged to have a go. However, it went on for so long, I inquired at one point if they were trying to recreate the Bayer tapestry. The next day, the nurse in charge asked me if I wanted to go to the bathroom. Well, I did get out of bed, but trying to walk was just excruciating and I was reduced to tears. The nurse said that didn't sound right and asked to take a look. And when she did, she said this. Oh, I see the problem. They've included one of your hemorrhoids into the stitching. <laughs> a quick snip of her scissors and the problem was solved. I was sore but relieved. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's... It's unbelievable. And sometimes can we just acknowledge the courage of women because going to the loo after childbirth, however Junior has emerged, uh, particularly for a number two, is a very trying experience. And we don't even know whether this was a two or a one, but either way, she was on her way to the loo. And that's just, honestly... It doesn't, it doesn't bear thinking about, but we all are. And I hope uh, that it's been cathartic to let that one out too. Um, a couple of you said that you were doing oral history things yourselves. This one comes from Claire. It's a lovely suggestion. I'm really interested to hear you talking about oral histories. I love the listening project and I think it's a really important piece of work. Uh, it does still exist in the library, the British Library, and they've got an open archive. So if you ever want to listen to any conversations, uh, you just head along to their website and you can find them all there. And they're all beautifully kind of curated and collated as well by dialect or by 
uh, subject matter. And I think probably some stuff is still up on the BBC website too. I'm in my 50s and studying to be a psychotherapist. As an aside, I would say that training to do counselling and psychotherapy as a second career is a thoroughly rewarding thing to do. As part of our study, we were required to complete our own genogram. That's a family tree with the help of surviving family members. Uh, And Claire went on to do it as an interview with both of her 30-something parents individually about their family memories. I audio recorded the conversation conversations on my phone. Once I got them talking about their childhood, parents, grandparents and even great-grandparents, there was no stopping them on all manner of topics. We talked about what life was like, mental health, behaviour expected of them as children, what they ate, what toys they played with, you name it, they talked about it. And my mum even revealed her own postnatal depression, which had never been mentioned before. Because I was required to do the exercise, it wasn't a problem to initiate with them, but they were actually both thrilled to be asked. And Claire says, I genuinely believe this is an endeavour anyone can simply undertake by inviting relatives to contribute and you can do it very easily on a mobile phone. I'd love it if you could pass on this idea to your listeners. Great idea. I I agree, Claire. And I think also most people do exactly that. They might be a bit reluctant at the beginning, but then you can't shut them up. Yeah. I mean, actually, it's just lovely. We know how lovely it is to talk about ourselves. I'll correct that. I know how lovely it is to talk about myself. No, it is lovely. And for someone to be interested, um, because, look, everyone's got a story. Yeah. And the longer you've been around, the more stories you're going to have. And how wonderful as well to just record all those details. Yeah. What you ate and, you know, what your friends were like and what games you played and stuff. Because mm. that's the stuff that actually your kids want to hear. They, they You know, they're probably not interested in... Uh, you know, jobs that Uncle John had or whatever. It, you know, whatever tends to be recorded, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's the detail of daily life, isn't it? So good suggestion, Claire, and uh, and I'm glad also that you found a kind of second career in later life. Uh, Anonymous says, here in sunny Lincoln, we have the IBCC, the International Bomber Command Centre. For the past couple of years, they've been recording the experience of former Bomber Command men and women from the war years. It's all digitised and is up on their website. Uh, to this end, I can now listen to my dad and my mum offering her views. So there you go. There's another a little bit of uh, world experience, life experience that is going to be lost to us, um, I don't know, in the next well, realistically, in the next decade. And um, it's very important. Um, Rachel, love your show, always listen. But after hearing the interview with Davina McCall, you both implied you'd had enough of hearing about the menopause. Did we? I think what we were both trying to express, certainly what I was trying to express was... Yeah, sometimes I do think I have heard enough about it. I'm still going through it, I think. Um, I just don't want to be identified by it, lumbered with it as the only thing that hoves into view whenever women of our age are ever discussed. And I think the point that I was trying to make was that we may be talking about it a lot at the moment, but we won't always talk about it a lot. It won't be on the front pages forever. Uh, I mean, personally, I think it is a really good thing it's on the front pages now. Yeah. But we, but there won't be this volume of chat about it. It's because it's new to be able to talk about well, it so much. There's some parts of the world where you can bet your life it's never been mentioned. Yeah, of course. So, you know, we should... And, and, and actually, I don't... And I'm not sure that we did... I'm not sure we decried a conversation about it totally. Well, Rachel says, only 5% globally and 14% of women nationally take HRT because it still isn't talked about enough. Hmm. And I know that to be true. 
Um, I think Rachel's absolutely spot on there. And I think that was something I said to Davina, that actually I've always thought that HRT was largely used and demanded by gobby middle-class women. Uh, and there are plenty of other women who could hugely benefit from it, who either haven't got the time in their lives to try and get an appointment, and then once they're in the doctor's surgery, for whatever reason, don't get given HRT. Um, I do think that's a massive issue. Yeah, um, and and we have talked about this before. That we actually definitely have. An awful lot of doctors don't really know what, what questions to ask and then what to prescribe. So for a while, and I think this has been overtaken actually by... Uh, young people, but for a while, the menopausal woman was the most prescribed demographic in the country for antidepressants because yeah. that was the immediate go-to for a mm. doctor. So it's fantastic that's changed. But also that disability thing, which was the story about the menopause that had put it on the front pages, that uh, under employment law, if your symptoms were severe enough... Uh, then the menopause could be classed as a disability. I think it was reported the wrong way because it did lead lots of people to say, "Don't look at us as being disabled." disabled yeah, I agree. But it's not what the that's not what the story no. is. The story just means um, that if you if your symptoms are so severe, the area of employment law that you would fall into in order to get what you need from your employer is disability law because there isn't any other kind of medical part of employment law that fits the bill so I got a bit annoyed with the reporting of it because it wasn't true that mm. we were being told that we are disabled no. having a menopause no. and so it's important to get that right it, it is it is important um we should say we have uh, some great guests today actually uh, two young people who are award-winning podcasters and their podcast is about something most of us don't know much about uh, life both in prison and then afterwards how you kind of rebuild your life after you've been released um and there were loads of questions we could have asked them we slightly ran out of time i could have talked to the two of them for ages because they were brilliant and you can hear from them in a couple of minutes time mom deserves better than a drugstore card this Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
This is important about something you were talking about earlier in the week about people being reluctant to appear in family photos. And it's from a listener who says, I wanted to join in and say yes, yes, yes to this. Get in photos, take group family photos. After my son was born, I fell into the trap of taking hundreds of photos of him and not much else. On Mother's Day 2022, we celebrated with four generations, including my granny, who'd just turned 90. We were saying our goodbyes, I had my coat on, ready to leave. Then I realised we hadn't taken any group photos that day. I took my coat off and got my granny, my mum, myself and my one-year-old son together for a photo on the sofa. I will be forever grateful I did that because my granny died very suddenly from Covid a week later. We had no idea it was going to be the last time we were all together. And you never do know, so for Pete's sake, take a photo. I think you'd have liked my granny, she says. Um, She was a little bit like an English bulldog. Short and stout and nobody messed with her. She was incredibly loyal. She once came out of the ensuite in her high-rise flat and accidentally flashed the builders working on the building opposite. She was unfazed by this and gave them a cheeky shimmy of the shoulders before dashing back inside. Love the sound of her. She sounds amazing. Uh, Emma, thank you very much for that. That's that's great. Lucky builders. <laughs> right, uh, let's bring in Zach and Jules. They are award-winning presenters of the podcast Life After Prison. It is run by the Prison Radio Association and its fifth series launched yesterday. Now, um, there's so much content in these podcasts. They are really good, aren't they? Oh, they're fascinating. And they're yeah. from every perspective. Yep. And uh, they're very engaging hosts. And do you know what I, what I would say before listening to this uh, is please don't worry. We didn't have time to address this in the interview. Uh, they both acknowledge their crimes, don't they? And it's important to do that. They're not victimless crimes. No. They talk about this quite a lot uh, in the early editions of the podcast. So I did feel when we were talking to them during the interview that it's not because we had kind of ignored that point that it's not included. We just no, didn't have time. It really was a time-limited a time limited, uh, conversation, but it was great to meet them. Uh, Zach is one of the presenters. He was given three different sentences for robbery and drug offences. Jules is his co-host. She spent two and a half years inside for grievous bodily harm. So Jules told us how long it had been since she was released from jail. So I was released in November November 2019. Right, and, and Zach, when was the last time you spent a night behind bars? I was actually released four years ago today. Four years ago today? Yeah, right. um, so uh, it was between 2018 and 2020. Right. Yeah. Now, I know that you made the decision, I think, that you didn't want this life anymore during your second term in prison. Yes. Uh, then there was another one because basically the authorities caught up with you for an offence that was committed a while back. Precisely. So how did that mindset of your third prison term, when it was the last place you wanted to be, what was that like? That was like a baptism of fire because it's like, are you now going to stick to your guns? Are you this changed, renewed character that you are? Because I'm back in an environment where um, I wasn't the same person I am today back then. Mm. So I'm coming across um, staff and uh, fellow inmates that remember the old me. And a significant uh, moment was when a few guys were like, you know what, you're actually different now. You're not the same, the same Zach that we once knew. Um, and that different, that change in mindset and that coming back into that environment allows you to, one, be somewhat of a positive influence in there um, and kind of change the narrative. So when you're having discussions with your fellow inmates, it's not, oh, what are we going to do when we come out in terms of the criminal world? It's what are we going to do productively and contribute to society? 
and you, I mean, four years on, you're sitting in this hugely glamorous location here, yes. uh, and it, it must seem a bit, a bit peculiar, but what progress has been made in that four years? That seems remarkable. Uh, in four years, boy, so um, quite a lot so far. So um, I've got my own um, organisation supporting young people that are at risk of entering the criminal justice system or they've come into contact uh, with the criminal justice system and we support them to make better decisions, to uh, educate themselves and return into the workforce um, as well as education. So that's one thing there. Um, I'm part of a charity that supports young people in East London to build... Um, social enterprises tackling issues in their community, um, utilising their lived experience, and that's with Social Arc. Um, and also working with the PRA, you know, yeah. being a professional within the criminal justice system, supporting people who have been where we've been, um, using our lived experience and supporting people to make better decisions and um, navigate what life mm. is like. Watch your release. Your podcasts are hugely entertaining and they've won awards and many congratulations. Don't you go get them too good, please. <laughs> um, but do you know what's so interesting about it as well is just to hear that first-person experience of life in jail to try and take away some of the prejudices about it, actually. And, uh, Jules, I was quite struck by something you said, though, about how little you felt when you first left prison that you wanted to ever tell people the reality of your experience. So why now be able to do it amplified, you know, in a, <laughs> yeah, so, so hundreds of thousands of people can know this about you? That's a very good question. I think, um, yeah, you're right. When I got out, I didn't want to tell anyone. Um, I think there's no, like, guidebook, rule book on how you deal with uh, getting out of prison. So you're kind of left to your own devices and your family and your friends, the people around you and their advice which is funny because they haven't been through it. So you're taking advice from your loved ones. I love them very much and I appreciate their... Um, I take what they say on board, you know, it means so much to me, but they haven't actually been through it. So it's quite hard for them to even know what I should do. They're just, they just want the best for me. Um, and it's just that fear of being judged. And I, I agreed with it. You know, I was the one that decided to take on their advice and, you know, keep it to myself, not really tell many people. I think when you go through work and you're getting jobs and your bosses are telling you to, you know, kind of keep it to yourself and people judge, like, no one really needs to know. And that is very true. Not everybody that you come across needs to know that you've been to prison. Um, but it kind of builds this fear of being able to talk about it to anybody. And what happens then, especially when, I don't know, I think for everybody, but I was quite young, um, you just, you need to talk, I, I think. And I think people need to talk as well and they need to be able to relate. But if there's a stigma around even being to go into prison, it makes it kind of impossible to speak. So I think um, the moment I did the podcast, it allowed me to actually express my own journey um, and be able to help other people. And now that you know, I've come out as a, a prisoner, you know, I've been to prison um, and now I get to give back and help people that have been in similar situations as me and be able to help family and friends that have been through it like my family and friends did. Um, now, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed um, and I want to continue to help and continue to express how I felt 
so that it, yeah, continues to, to help people. What is, I'm sure you've talked about this, you, you two, um, the, the difference in the experience of, of male prisons and female prisons, because mm. there aren't that many women in British prisons, there, there never have been. There aren't very many female prisons. Yeah. Uh, are conditions, they can't be as bad as they are in some male prisons? Ah. Well, tell me. <laughs> well, it, um, you know, the prisons are very different. So it depends on what prison you go to. And some people might actually only be in one prison their whole sentence and might have, you know, really nice, clean, new jail, let's say. Um, Zach has been to a fair few. I've been to a few, <laughs> yeah. And it varies. It varies from prison to prison. Um, you know, you've got your Victorian prisons. Um, and obviously with wear and tear, there's some issues there. Um, but you've got, like, the newer prisons that are privately run. Um, and they tend to be in better condition. But in terms of... Like the thing about conditions that really matter most is, are they are the conditions for rehabilitation, like um, nurtured and supported? That's what really matters in terms of conditions. Because at the end of the day, being in prison is a punishment. But what is what is the result of that sentence? But, and I think that's what matters. But both men and women have like I went to four different women jails, and there were significant like a significant difference between some and the others. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, it is Zach's right. I think, are these conditions anyway, even the better kind of conditions, are they like a, a, an environment of rehabilitation or what? what is it kind of kind of environment, you know? It's... I know that you both give credit actually to some of the people who work with you when you were inside. And there's a, there was a gym instructor, I think, yeah. who really, I mean, really came, well, not to your rescue, Jules, but kind of rebuilt you in a way and gave you confidence. He did. And you know what, I was speaking to him earlier because I literally just went back into um, one of the prisons that I was, I was released from. This was an open prison and that's where um, he was. Uh, his name's Neil Layton, I'll shout him out. Um, and, you know, afterwards we did a, I referenced him on the podcast, you know, of spotlighting people that have really helped you on your journey. And, you know, he, he, he's really modest about it. So when he listened to it, he was like, you know, just like, wow, you're giving me so much credit, but he really does deserve it. And there are so many different kinds of people in authority within the prison system that can either really help you or, or really not. And it, I got really blessed and lucky to land in that prison with him, helping me get my level three PT and showing me how to succeed on the outside. So I'm well, you're so now a personal grateful. trainer, aren't you? Yeah, 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 got that. And a good one too. <laughs> thank thank yeah. you very much. Um, there was something I really learned a lot from an episode I listened to last night about IPP sentences. Now, um, you cover a whole range of topics, I should say, on these podcasts, and they are really accessible. Um, you know, people who've never been anywhere near the prison system can get a lot out of the, these. An IPP is a sentence for... Public protection. Yes, an indeterminate sentence for the protection of the public. Indeterminate is the yeah. important word. I know they were actually abolished in yes. 2012, but there are still people serving them. Yeah, so um, so the episode about IPP, we spoke to two people, well, three including Lord Blunkett. We interviewed Lord Blunkett. Because he came Blunkett. up. Yes, because he, yeah. he was in government at the time, Yeah. Um, part of the cabinet um, at the time that the sentences were created and used. Um, and the thing about IPP is that even though it's abolished, it wasn't abolished retrospectively. So like you said, there are still a, f a couple thousand people serving sentences within um, the prison system that have almost 90% of them are at tariff or past tariff. So what it is, is, is that the challenge is now, how do you navigate their parole hearings? 
how do you assess whether they're ready to be released into the into society again? And there's a conversation going on now with the now with the prison minister and the justice secretary about how they're going to tackle this issue because um, it has been by the court of by the European Court of Human Rights has been deemed as an inhumane sentence. So it's just about now what are the steps going forward in order to rectify mm. some somewhat of a mistake and Lord Blunkett's own words is that it is a mistake and he feels very bad about it and he's doing all he can to rectify this so mm. yeah. yeah but I mean we, we are talking I think in some cases and I hope this isn't an extreme example mm. people who stole a mobile phone um 12 15 years ago who are still in prison yes that's an example actually of one person who actually yeah did steal a mobile phone but this is the thing the sentence was supposed to be applied the application of the sentence wasn't clear. It wasn't supposed to be for those yes. kind of offences. They were supposed to be for the more serious yes. offences. But yeah, you are right. It's and just about how it was applied by the judges. So right. the judges um, in the system weren't sure about the application of it, but the criteria given is quite vague. Right. I mean, I think it is horrifying, and I think people who might not have heard of them will be um, really, really quite disturbed when they find out about these things. And I appreciate what you said about Lord Blunkett. I know he has apologised, and he's trying to do something about yeah. it. Um, what what topics are you covering in this series, Jules, that you haven't done before? Very good question. So we have, um, we always have incredible guests. We'd like to, to, to have a variety of people. Um, are we we're allowed to yes. we're, don't, yeah, don't yeah. give too much. Yeah. <laughs> um so we have um We have a gentleman who was actually um part of do you remember when the London Bridge attack happened? Oh yeah. yeah. He was part of um prisoners that were there that day on at a criminal justice event. Yeah. And he was part of the people that actually took down the, 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 the terrorists. Right. So he's come on the show to explain Steve. this. Steve. Steve Gallant. Yeah, Steve Gallant. He's you probably to... might have heard his book. Um, he had a book out recently. Yeah, Road to London Bridge or something like that. Heard right. his story. And that was on his first day out, wasn't it? That was his first day out in... I can't remember, a few years. A good few few years. years. Just incredible. Just coming out of prison and then getting yourself into this, you know, uh, like stopping a terrorist is quite an incredible story. So definitely listen out for that one. And we just launched our first episode of Series 5 today and that's with uh, David Navarro. David Navarro, yeah. uh, Or Delinquent Nation, if you've heard of his podcast. He actually started his podcast within prison. Right. And with the aim of actually showing the reality of prison, not the glorified version. To, to really get through to young people and people in, in society that, you know, it's not glorified thing to be in prison and to change the narrative on that. So, yeah. Such a difficult question because we've only got about a minute left. Oh. But what would have been the thing that someone could have said to both of you that would have stopped you from committing a crime that put you in jail? Great that, question. I'd probably automatically go to how much how many other people are affected by your sentence and not just you your family and your friends and you know my like my mum bless her she really really suffered and I would just never never would have wanted that so I probably off the top of my head my first thing probably that I'm with you on that Jules but just to add maybe maybe if it was what do you want to do with yourself if this is a career that you can take go this is the way to do it you know give me a blueprint a plan something that can be action. It's well, well worth a listen. It's called Life After Prison. You can search it wherever you get your podcasts. The hosts are Zach and Jules, and those podcasts are organised by the Prison Radio Association, which actually produces some really good stuff, doesn't it? They often win awards. (laughs) They do.
So I don't think uh, I, I think we're we're not even up for a gong. What <laughs> this year, Jane? Don't worry. Uh, I've got room on my shelf. No, this is it. Very, very, very small shelf. I make it smaller every year. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you just shrink it. Uh, have a half decent weekend. I'm back, super healthy on Monday, and can't wait to tell people about the improvement in my circumstances. I've had so many runner beans over the last couple of days. <laughs> Lordy. And I should be reading aloud on Monday's podcast from Beefy Botham's book. And Fee has got something from Simon Bates. Simon Bates. Bates. Yes. Our tune. Yes. Everyone a winner. Was he much loved, Simon Bates? Uh, I think he was just Simon Bates. He was Symes, wasn't he? He was big, big, deep voiced Symes. Yep. Always wore a blazer to work, didn't he? Maybe we should think of doing that. A nice regimental tie. then we might win an award. Uh, uh, don't forget, Book Club podcast tomorrow. Thanks so much for taking part and your suggestions welcome for the next one. Have a lovely weekend. ta And Julia, get up! Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, lady. A lady listener. I'm sorry. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.